Welcome to Modern Figures Podcast, a show where we're elevating the voices of black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce. We're your hosts, Dr. Jeremy Waysom and Dr. Kyla McMullen. This podcast is sponsored by the National Center for Women in Information Technology, or NCWIT. NCWIT is a nonprofit organization that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase participation of all women in the field of computing. Kyla and I are representatives of the Institute for African American Mentoring and Computing Sciences, or IMCS, which serves as a national resource for Black and African American students, faculty, and industry professionals in computing. Special thanks goes to our listeners who contribute to the podcast by supporting our online store, which you can find at our website, www.modernfigurespodcast.com. All right, today we have a very special guest with us. We have Dr. Gloria Apoku-Botting, who is the head of UX design and research with enterprise AI and machine learning platforms at Capital One. She was doing UX uh, research at Northrop Grumman. She got her BS from, View, from Valley View University, her master's in applied health informatics at the John Hopkins University, her another whole master's <laughs> in human-centered computing from UMBC or University of Maryland, Baltimore County, mm-hmm. and also her PhD in information systems from UNBC. She is an awesome, awesome researcher in the UX field, and she's going to talk to us about just how she got here. So thank you so much for coming. Yeah. No worries. I'm happy to be here. Really honored. You had a long journey, so we're glad that you yes. you made it from the cold. Yeah, and I'm and enjoying snow. I'm enjoying, <laughs> I'm enjoying the summer. Whole seven week old. Oh, no. Just had a whole. I have a seven week old. She's oh like my tiny. Gosh. Oh. Little baby. Mm-hmm. Little baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm still not sure how we got connected. Do you know? Yes, Grace Hopper. Okay. Yes. yes. That's De- cool. Yep. But not this one. The last one, I believe, Jamika introduced us at mm-hmm. one point mm-hmm. and yes she's also a capital one yes she is oh yeah that makes mm-hmm. that makes a lot more sense because <laughs> i was like somehow we found this human and no i was like she's amazing we need to get you on the podcast and i put you on our short list of folks like from the previous grace hopper and Uh i'm like uh we may not get you right away but you are on the list so thank you so much for you know for being available for us Mm -hmm. thanks for doing this this is amazing work (laughs) thank you thank you so Gloria, how did you grow up? What was it like growing up? I know we had a brief conversation earlier today, but yeah, um, growing up, um, I vividly remember because my parents are missionaries. My dad is a pastor, and I remember it so so much because we traveled a lot. Like Mm -hmm. we traveled from places to places. Um, I never got attached to anything or friends (laughs) because I had to move in a couple of years. Um. So we lived on campus. My dad is a professor, too. He taught, like, hermeneutics and Old Testament, New Testament. Mm -hmm. Um, And my mom was an HR executive, so she has an MBA. She does, like, hiring and firing and all the things that HR people do. (laughs) But they both work for this church, so the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, And so growing up, we didn't have any tech parent or like you know somebody to look up to Mm -hmm. my dad encouraged us to do things that we loved so um he would say things like you know you don't want to do something that you have to train your body or you have to do it physically Mm -hmm. you want to do something that you use your brain like you think about it you're in an office and that way you don't get tired even if you get older right (laughs) that's a good point I didn't fully understand that till like now I'm like that's really smart because I can see myself like standing for 12 hours eight hours like doing manual labor Mm -hmm. um but then high school was in Africa. College was in Africa, too. And then after college, we decided to just, like, let our parents be <laughs> to do the good work that they do. And then my sisters and I transitioned back to the U.S. where we were born uh, to continue our lives. And we went to grad school. Yeah, Cool. Mm. That's really cool. So were they, like, special programs? Because you don't just, you know, your parents doesn't say, do what you want to, and you just yes. end up in tech. Yes, yes, yes. So yes. were there any influences in that direction? So my dad wasn't in tech, but he was really innovative. Like, he had one of the first few computers, and he would – 
give us like separate times to use a computer. He had like the the floppy drive, like <laughs> the old version. And then we'll play Mario. Those were the big ones. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. Um, in the 90s, we'll play Mario and like games and stuff like that. So we really loved it. But unbeknownst to us, like we didn't know that that was like instilling to us, like, you know, what we can do. We would like program little things. Mm-hmm. And this was back in Africa. And so imagine, even when I was in college in Africa, we didn't have computers for everyone. We coded on the on the blackboard like with chalk wow. like you know that's cool um wow. and so that passion was like not because we have the resources but it's just like something we knew that we can do like you know knowing that you can do something gives you the power to just choose right mm-hmm. because if you don't know what is out there you don't even know the options that you have so he really encouraged us to do different things Mm-hmm. And he'll say things like, you know, even if you get married and you have kids, you still want to work or do something for yourself. And this is something that, like, people from my culture, like the African culture, would understand because most of the women are taught to be stay at home. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike how it is here in America, like, you be stay at home and you support your husband and the family. Um, so he'll say things like that and he would just, like, instill in us without really telling us what to do. Mm-hmm. And so having that opportunity to use a computer and play games and um, getting an opportunity to go to college and do computer science where the class is like 70 and you're like only female or there's another (laughs) another female in there. Like it's not about, you know, situations here where it's like, you know, representation, but it's Mm -hmm. just like you don't have female even willing to do it, you know, so they don't even think about segregation or not giving them equal opportunities just like they don't want to do it legitly so if you're female and you want to do it and it's kind of like okay what options do you have because you don't see anyone who's like you but coming to the state changed a lot of things uh later for us that's crazy so does your sister also do computing yeah so all three of us did computer science and then we branched out to uh different things so my sister does like you know qa and database analysis Mm -hmm. um and then my younger sister, she's in grad school actually doing cybersecurity oh. operations in North Dakota. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> and just from saying, do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> and you all landed in tech. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's super cool. That is very awesome. So you mentioned you came to um, came here and you started at Johns Hopkins here? Yes. So yeah. um, Going back a little bit, uh, so my final year in undergrad where I was in computer science, we had a guest lecture from Germany come to Africa to my school and then give a lecture on health informatics. So how do we use technology to make care safer? How do we use technology to optimize healthcare? Mm -hmm. I was really fascinated by it because when you think about it, the gaming industry and entertainment industry, they're running with technology. Like they're doing amazing stuff with technology. But the healthcare industry, for some reason, is lagging behind. So I was like, what is it? Is it the system, the people? Is it like the care itself that cannot really use technology because it's really delicate? Mm-hmm. And so I volunteered <laughs> to <laughs> be like a research assistant to work on uh, the current situation of medical informatics in Ghana. Wow. Which was really successful. It took longer, but we understood that. The closest to technology used in Ghana back then was databases, Excel sheets, and like stuff like that. Um, wow. And so after grad school, after undergrad, I applied to Hopkins because I knew that I could come back. I was born here, but then I wanted a school that had a strong medical uh, uh, kind of school yeah. and a strong medical training. Mm-hmm. And so whilst I was doing my masters in applied health informatics, I was learning patient safety. We could go into the hospitals and see what's really happening. Um, and then I fell into usability and, and evaluating technology that is being used in the hospitals. That is amazing. Like, that is a, such a cool story, the fact that you could not only develop the stuff, but then look at, okay, yep. what are these people doing when they get it? Because I know that's one huge uh, challenge just yeah. in healthcare because you have people who don't know how to use it mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. are adverse to using it. And wow, that's pretty cool. So then you decided one master's was not enough. <laughs> <laughs> and then you uh went into human centered computing well because the usability stuff yeah no yes. it makes sense it definitely makes sense so let's chat a bit about that you went right down the street so <laughs> right it, down wilkins avenue to UNPC. <laughs> so in hindsight it seems like you know things fell into place but back then it wasn't a decision that i really made it was kind of like i'm not a master at you know technology and healthcare. I want to really know my stuff. So I went back to get a second master's. And 
I was telling Jeremy earlier on that as a black African woman, you have to be twice as excellent to get to the places that you want to go to. And so you go through like lengthy training and you go through like experience, like oriented resources in order to get yourself to know your stuff. So mm-hmm. once I finished with the master's at Hopkins, I understood patient safety. I understood what causes that. I understood that there was a problem, but I didn't really understand how to fix it. So I had to train myself to learn the user experience and usability part, learning how uh, to understand people, knowing that people think in a certain way, so why or what makes them think the way that they think, what makes them do things that they do. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, after I worked at the federal government. So I did policy resources, understanding why the president is giving money to hospitals and clinicians to use technology, mm-hmm. but that's not changing behavior. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> the fundamental is like really understanding how to build technology that complements the work that they do. And that made me go back to grad school to understand like neuroscience, psychology, and do some research, like really strong um, scientific research to understand human behavior. From UMBC, you got your master's, and then yeah. you were like, I need more. <laughs> so that's assuming, I'm assuming, is what encouraged you to get a PhD right. to go even deeper with that topic. She needs all the letters. actually when i started my when i started my master's i was super interested in research i got myself into research pretty quickly Mm -hmm. and so i had faculty tell me that if you love research and you're doing all these like you're helping so many professors like do some of the research stuff that they do because a lot of them were doing hcc research but in healthcare Mm -hmm. so having that first master's i really knew how to do like data analysis and then grab or pull hospital data um, they advised me to just get a PhD because the courses that you have to do f- to get a PhD, it's not really that much. The, the research takes yeah. the longest, right? And so it's like, okay, I guess I'll get a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get a PhD. But did I they pay knew for you to get it? They actually did not because what? I didn't want them to pay for me because I didn't have to be in a lab and with my faculty advisor all the time. But during so that were time... You working? I did internships, a wow. lot of internships, like 10 internships. So Wow. 10? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I did winters and summers and winters and summers. And like, oh, my God. Because I really wanted to understand what? project teams. Can you teams. imagine? I would die. <laughs> <laughs> I would just be on the floor. Like, it, no. I can't imagine. <laughs> wow. Well, okay, yeah, Gloria. That is okay. amazing. Was it internships at the same place? Hopefully. No. Oh, my God. No, so I <sighs> I sat down and I I figured that I need academic research internships, but I also needed to understand how a UX research consultant works. So I worked for a small startup that did everything, like you would do everything that a researcher does. Mm-hmm. And then I worked for IBM understanding abstract research, so how do you measure pain? Like mm. it's really subjective, but that's research that they do yeah. for places that people are so unconscious to tell you their pain. Oh, that's, that's, you know, so unless you think about it like that, you don't really understand why someone should research, you know, objective pain measuring. Um, and then I worked for product teams and like Google and Mm -hmm. like, you know, actual tech companies that would get engineers and designers and researchers in a room to fix problems or, or work on, uh, you know, projects and my projects, Fundamentally was uh, Google Photos back then when it had this like wrong tagging of African American people. Oh, wow. And so it was like a really big thing, but like mm-hmm. the experience was really helpful because that launched into now what we call ethics and AI and machine mm-hmm. learning and things like that. So like I wanted to know all the different parts of my career that I could take in order to choose what I wanted or how I wanted my life to be. I mean, it makes sense, but it's also insane. In addition to your own PhD (laughs) research, you're over here making all these strides for these huge companies. Right, because you have to get your foot in the door. Like, you don't know a lot of people out there, so you don't get that referral. So Mm. you have to have that experience so that people see what you can do, and then they can give you opportunities. Wow. Okay. (laughs) But I, I like that take on the PhD, like having this sort of rotational, you get to actually... Put your skills into what you're yep. going to do mm-hmm. to sort I of see like, it. I feel like that's a unique thing to computer science where like mm-hmm. you can still get that research experience 
by going into industry and it's like real hands-on research experience like in my discipline if i go into industry i i need the degree to do the work (laughs) right right? like i could only be a tech but uh, in computer science. Yeah. And it, I think it depends on how you get into the program. Mm-hmm. Like, I went in as semester students. I was paying my way through mm-hmm. the grad school. So it was something that I was used to. But most people who get into PhDs, they get the funding before they start. So you are tied to a professor or tied to a project before yeah. you go in. Yeah. Mm. And you said, I'm a free agent. I'm going <laughs> to do what I want to do. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. So we talked about the strides that you made in industry. So what was your HCC? Um, sorry, not your HCC. Your mm-hmm. PhD mm-hmm, research mm-hmm. in. So my PhD research, uh, broadly speaking, I was researching chronic conditions and how we can use technology to augment the the process of caring for someone. So think about diabetes, obesity, pain management, like things that stay with you for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, When you have like malaria or something that is like really quick, you go into the ER or you go to hospital and you're really taken care of. But if you have chronic pain and things that, you know, live with you for long years, like how do you use technology to augment that? And so I looked at gaming, I looked at, with computerized and not computerized gaming and how that technology can augment somebody's care. For my dissertation, I narrowed down to baby boomers, mm-hmm. how they use technology to augment chronic mental uh, degradation. As you get older, you don't remember the stuff that you used to remember. Your mind is not as sharp, right? Mm-hmm. So as you get older, how do you kind of exercise your brain like you would exercise your body so that you will still be on top of it? And so I did both mixed method research, doing quantitative and qualitative. The qualitative part was me going to community centers and talking to actual older citizens, like baby boomers. Uh, and How was that? It- <laughs> How was that? It was, it was funny. Like I, <laughs> I entered one community center and, and the lady was like, you seem to be lost because you're not the type of people <laughs> that come here. And she was like, but this is actually a good thing because... In a few years, you're going to end up here. So you should know oh about wow. how they live. Like, Rude you know, because people <laughs> go there years. a lot. Yeah. So it's <laughs> like, you look too young to be here. But I told her about my research. We had done the paperwork and stuff. But the quantitative part of it was to be able to predict that if someone is Asian and a female and has like this certain um, educational background or this certain, uh, a certain exposure technology, they have a better chance of using games, computerized and non-computerized game to augment their care. Like, how do you predict that and how do you build for certain communities that um, you don't really know how they're going to fare with the usage of the tools. Hmm. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That is pretty cool. So what were some of the highlights, like some cool findings from oh. your work? Yeah, so for the quantitative uh, part of it, I knew that I, I did 80 to 100 people, and so Whoa, I don't yes. have <laughs> such a strong... Um, kind of back into the finance, but you're able to predict, but not with certainty. Um, but mm. for the qualitative, what I enjoyed, and that led me to like you know working in industry and doing qualitative research, was I understood that with older adults or baby boomers, we don't think about it, but there are four types of older adults. They are the ones that are still working, mm-hmm. fit, doing things that they did in the 30s, 40s, 50s. There are those that are in the nursing homes. They really can't do anything. There are those that are taking care of their grandkids. Like, they're home, but, you know, <laughs> they're they are active. Like, they're taking care of grandkids. They're uh, doing things that, like, you know, their kids need them to do. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth type are those that they're not working, but they usually go to community centers mm. to get, like, exercise, to do pottery, like, you know, to just keep themselves busy, right? Yeah. And so... Without that knowledge, we're just building for baby boomers, thinking that they're all just like, you know, 60 or 65 to like 80 or 75. We just had a range for them. But if you're building technology for them and you know that there are different kinds of people and environments and the things that keep them active or like what they do, then you have a better chance of like adoption implementation. And the second Mm -hmm. thing was we had guidelines for building um, technology. So <laughs> when we talked to these older adults or baby boomers, they didn't understand why <laughs> games that they enjoyed, like, you know, um, checkers or chess or things that they, they played on physical board mm-hmm. or, like, paper platform 
we're now converting to electronic and like they can't even see the screen and you oh, go through all the yeah. things that older adults have already told us about designing on, on technology platforms. And so do you choose between paper platform or um, <laughs> electronic platform? And who is around the home to support them in like yeah. onboarding onto yep. those games yeah. and stuff like that? So, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So don't lump people all together. Yep. Yeah. Even if they're from the same generation Generation. yeah no but it makes sense because i know like my parents my mom can do whatever she wants with the computers and gifts and all these animations and my dad is like is this radio on like he doesn't know what's (laughs) happening with anything with technology but wow that's really cool so you finished there yes and you decided i need to go help the world more so what did you do (laughs) that and also i need to get rid of my student loans um yeah to be 100 percent. so i started working with not Drop guman uh he had this uh the company had like a 10-year contract with the ssa bringing all their green screens into technology so we run the it transformation uh so ssa is is a social security administration um, what happens is that nobody really talks about them or interacts with them till they're 65 or about to turn 65 <laughs> yeah. and interested about their benefits. But uh, they want people to start with, like, you know, when you start when getting I, your yeah. your social yeah. security number. Like, interact with them, go to their site, like, just get the information and then help them help you better. So they wanted that experience. Um, but their target audience, obviously, is baby boomers. So <laughs> they... Um, it fits. Yes, they wanted <laughs> yes. to do things that will appeal to them first and then expand to other generations too. And so I worked there, enjoyed the work that I was doing, um, but I didn't like the fact that because we're consulting to the federal government, you do things, you recommend things for them, and then just hand it over to them. So it's like a consulting right. role. You don't know when it's implemented, yes. Yes. if it's or implemented, if it is. Uh-huh. Right. all of that. I wanted my baby project. I wanted something that I could see to start to finish. Mm. So, yeah. So before you went to Northrop Grumman... Yep. You were an IBM fellow, and I don't know what that is. Yeah. So can you <laughs> can you explain that to us? So IBM really hires PhD students to do research uh, in their labs. And for those who don't know, IBM has about 13 labs across the world um, with three, I think two or three in, in the United States. So what they do is that once you're in grad school, depending on the needs, uh, they would pair you up with uh, research scientists, actual research scientists who are working on different projects. And um, when they pair you, you come over to their lab and then they give you everything just to do work for them. Mm. And then you really um, kind of learn from the, the PIs or the research scientists, but you really also carve your kind of passion from what you do too because you're training to be a research scientist so once you look at the projects that they have to offer the project need needs help uh you really choose the ones that would help you be a better research scientist Mm -hmm. so um the first half of my fellowship was in california where they have the almaden research lab i worked on a project that sought to build healthcare in a box so, wow. Oh, just a simple, you know, so, in a box. So what that means is that they're thinking of ways to utilize the IBM power. Like, you know, they have this like computing power to really leverage healthcare and how they can send um, that, you know, that resource to places in the form of an app. So when you think about places that don't have clinicians to go around or places that have special use cases that need a huge computing power, mm-hmm. like you immediately think of IBM and places that have that resource, but then how do you leverage technology like an app or building technology on a mobile platform that places that need help can also use? Um, my specific portion of that project was to really help them figure out how do they objectively measure pain? And so as a UX mm. researcher or HCC person, I'm thinking about, you know, what is the ethics of measuring somebody's pain without asking the person? Mm-hmm. And so you go into use cases like, you know, somebody's unconscious. Like, yeah. how do you ask the person who is unconscious the pain that they're feeling? That mm. pain might be killing them, but they can't tell you, right? Mm. Or you go to places that don't have clinicians like have one clinician that you see once every three months right Mm -hmm. and so for example clear example 
I just had C-section, right? And then I leave the hospital. I go home. But then I leave, like, 100 miles from the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And then the next, oh two, the next two days, I feel this type of pain, right? Mm-hmm. But then how do I know if my pain is typical, is normal? Mm. How do I know if my pain is a pain that everybody feels? Like, you know, how do I know if my pain is killing me? So the scale of 1 to 10 doesn't help you? Doesn't no. help. <laughs> like, so doesn't. we're off the scale nope. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when you think about it like that, then you, f- you find that... Um, goodwill in building a scale that objectively measures um, pain. We actually did a new type of scale mm-hmm. that we started to patent because that scale really remembers what you felt yesterday. Oh. So if on a scale of 1 to 10, you're saying that you feel 1 today, but then tomorrow you feel 0, like how do you tell them yeah. that you feel 0? Like, you know, lesser than 1. Right. But then if today you tell me you feel 8 and then tomorrow you feel 11, quote-unquote 11, like how do you tell me that? So... Think of it like having a new skill that's like a sliding skill. Like you can always increase it and then you can always like decrease it so you know the progress. Um, and so we built around that. I said that with like, you know, actual research, looking at academia, what has been done. Um, and I also contributed by thinking about um, what are things on the mobile platform that can measure pain. Mm. There's a lot of things. Like if you don't think about it or you don't research into it, like your heart rate, your mm-hmm. temperature, your pupil dilation, a lot of things can really measure your pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so leveraging all those and then thinking about how do we do the testing and the training sets? How do we make sure we are testing and having a lot of people put in data <laughs> so that yeah. we can predict so it's a recommendation system, it's a prediction system, and then we know what to do in case like we have real life patients telling us about their pain. It was a lot of work, but it was really enjoyable. Yeah, I can see that also being useful in telemedicine where you're yes. you have a doctor and they're across the mm-hmm, screen mm-hmm, and you know one mm-hmm. huge thing is, Oh, I'm in pain, now give me some narcotics versus hey, <laughs> I have these predictors, these sensors, you know, that yes. are on you and I can actually legitimize, okay, mm-hmm. you may actually be in pain. You right. Know? Right. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So you've had a lot of experiences. So I want to ask you, I think I know what the answer is, but where do you think you learned the most? Like uh, just in terms of like your skills that you use on a day-to-day level from your industry training or your PhD training? Wow, that's a tough question. Um, Let me flip it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I learned from both equally, but I really learn a lot more for my challenges and my struggles and so I will mm. defer to industry and the reason why I say that is in industry there's a lot of factors playing into what you do the outcome of what you do you have a team that you're working with in academia you have this like unbiased stance in like research like you know you're doing everything for the greater good like you don't have an attachment to anything but then once you turn into the industry there's money involved there's baseline mm-hmm. there's like a a project that is your project, you know, you have to defend it at all costs because that's the project that you mm. are handed with. But then you have a team of different personalities and different <laughs> background, different realities yeah. that you work with, right? And so when you go to industry or you're building things for the industry, you learn more from politics, from like different things mm-hmm. that you don't really think about when you're in academia because in academia, you have one, you may have like support, you might have the incubated environment to get your research to be successful but in academia you have to go beyond your hard skills or technical expertise and then really draw on a lot of the people skills and and the things of like you know understanding people's realities might not be the same and really getting to work cohesively with people so I learned a lot more from working an actual team to build an actual thing yeah Mm -hmm. um but then obviously your fundamental blocks for me was like my training and that is how I see it I think that's interesting because well I know from our (laughs) conversation you had a positive experience with your doctoral advisor right oh that's great and so having that positive experience it it, it's almost like you didn't have to rely on those other things that you were talking about that you had to rely on an industry Mm -hmm. Uh, Kyla and I will tell you (laughs) that we had to use the politics and the negotiating skills and understanding how people work and that you know all of that yeah during our PhD so it was like 
Maybe we got some cross training we weren't really <laughs> no, aware of. Oh, those definitely happened to me, but my advisor just like put out the fires for me. That's, That's so great. You know? So That's I saw amazing. it happening. I could see the avalanche coming, <laughs> but he will like be in the middle and then send an email and everything is like solved. Like, you know, mm. you see the situations that brew that environment, but my advisor was like my mentor and my advocate, my everything. And that I'm grateful for because I have heard a lot of stories of situations that weren't like that yeah who drama. was your advisor at umbc my advice was dr dr norcio oh i don't think i know doctor. oh he he is like he started at eight, in 89 Whoa. um so he had been there for a long time but he was the only one who understood how to merge um healthcare research with technology because mm. is and hcc did a lot of like you know technical research but he was the one who combined all my interests into into one that's pretty good. How did you even find him? Were you just at Hopkins? Like, I he, want to do this PhD. Who's I took, doing this? I took his class. So he teaches, like, large, complex system design. Mm-hmm. And when I took his class, I know the class was like, hey, if you need anyone to mentor you or to be advice, I'm here. Like, I haven't thought about That PhD. is how you act. I know. That's how you be an advocate. I know. You just say, hey. And he is, uh, I don't know if you can add this, but he's a white man. Like, you know, yeah. somebody that I didn't That's expect. Yeah. I didn't expect to advocate. And, and I was like, until the day he, the day that I finished was the day he decided to retire. Wow. I know. So wow. I'm like, how is it that this person who. That's beautiful. Yeah. Doesn't have to advocate for me, decides to pick me and decide to mentor me and put out all my fires and make sure that I finish. And people don't know that's all it takes. It's not this yep. grandiose keynote that yep. you have to have with all this. Just be a mentor. Just reach out to somebody. And it's not necessarily funding either because right. she yeah. is paying her own way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's just saying, hey, I will help you through this process and yeah. be that person to stand in between so mm-hmm. you can get this mm-hmm. thing done. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a real mentor right there. That's yep. so cool. I love it. I'm glad you had a positive experience. <laughs> like That's what it's supposed to be, people. That's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> Okay, so I know while you're in your PhD program and doing all these other things that you were doing, you somehow managed to find time to go to conferences and things. And so today I'm wearing my CRAW, which is now Mm -hmm. CRAWP, Computing Research Association Widening Participation T-shirt. Shout out to Daniela and Alejandra. Hey, girls. (laughs) Um. But yeah, you went to one of their grad cohorts. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and you met one of our previous guests. Yes, and y'all are like besties now. Yes. That's so awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so tell us about that and all the yes. resources and things from CRA. Definitely. So it all started with my advisor. Like he told me wow. that. What a great man. He man. is my advisor, <laughs> and we need he... to get him on the podcast. Oh no. <laughs> He he told me, frankly, that, you know, I'm your mentor, your advisor, but I'm not a black woman. I don't know the struggles that you face. So and I want you I want you Where to go to the internet <laughs> and find resources. And if you need a recommendation letter, I'm going to write it for you. Like, I don't know where to look, but I know that there's something out there. So he pointed me to the wow. Center for Women in Technology. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that's how I went to my first Grace Hopper. Mm-hmm. I paid my way to Grace Hopper. My advisor told me it was worth it. Wow. So when I went to Grace Hopper, I met people and I also came back and then Google was my friend. I <laughs> searched anything that was related to, like, you know, STEM, increasing black women, supporting mm-hmm. people. And at UMBC, we also had um, support from um, Dr. What's her name? She's now in California. Renetta Renetta Tull. Tull. Yes. Yeah, she's awesome. So I emailed her. <laughs> friend, of, friend of the podcast. <laughs> I know. I emailed her. I was like, I need support. Like, you know, what is it that is out there? And she pointed me to CRA. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going for the first three years. I mean, it was my second, third, fourth year of uh, the PhD program. And that's where I met, you know, Dr. Shibande uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of the friends that I really call sisters now. And then we got connected to uh, bigger sisters like yourself and, um, like, you know, some of the people who had PhDs before us and, and went through, like, greater struggles than we did. Um, so, yeah, that's how I got linked to all the resources and all this, like, community that helped me survive. <laughs> so beautiful so if y'all listening and you're you know in this position look up crawp they are still in the resource giving business so (laughs) they are and then they do things that are for undergraduate students too so 
one of the programs that we support through IMCS uh, is their distributed research experience for undergraduate yeah. students. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Y'all, they pay so much money for these REU students because they're competing with industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But these students get, they get paid. Get paid. And then they also get the opportunity to do summer research. Yes. Yes. With a mentor who's vetted and that we know will support you mm-hmm. um, through your summer research. Yeah, and you yeah. can go visit other campuses. Yes. So that's super cool. Yeah, um, I had a student from FAM and we actually published a paper with them. So, oh, wow. you know, it's not just, oh, you get the research. Like you get mm-hmm. to get actual, you can put this on your resume, on your CV for grad mm-hmm. school. Like it's amazing. Yeah. So we'll link CRAW's website and or CRAWP's yes. Yes, website. <laughs> in uh the description for this episode but yeah super cool i'm glad that you met uh grad cohort i was kind of upset was recently in hawaii (laughs) on my birthday (laughs) yeah Yeah. but we didn't get to go we ended up going to the my house you (laughs) (laughs) what we didn't tape no, oh no 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 yeah we did yeah. she had a birthday party okay. for me at her house oh, that's nice. it was really a party that i claimed as my birthday party it works hey just roll with but it it was fine it was <laughs> wonderful um there were two cakes that's how awesome it was oh, wow. um but yeah we ended up going to their urmd conference instead yeah. so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. in chicago undergraduate Something, something, something. Um, And that was really awesome Mm because we were able to like talk to people about what we do Mm -hmm, as IMCS. mm -hmm. um, And it's about diversity. Right. In computing. So grad cohort is for underrepresented minorities and persons with disabilities. Um, That's URMD grad cohort. And then grad cohort general, which is like the broader one. Mm -hmm. WP or no. it's just grad cohort for women. Mm-hmm. Ha. Oh, yeah. So okay. there are two. I see. Yeah. Okay. I, I knew it was mm-hmm. one is for women and mm-hmm. one is for underrepresented. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And even for faculty, there's CRA stuff. Cause I didn't find out about CRA till I couldn't use it. Oh. Or, or, so, or so I thought. So I was extra salty. But then, um, yeah, I found out they do faculty stuff. Yes, and they do. I went to their, uh, female faculty conference. I think they do it every other year. We were in Phoenix, Arizona. Wonderful time, mentorship, all that great stuff. Yeah, and they have scholarships too, mm-hmm, which yeah. is really cool. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wanted to bring it up because I know, like, we talk about a lot of resources through IMCS or with NCWIC, mm-hmm. but we never really talk about some of our other partner organizations yeah. that are part of the National Science Foundation Broadening Participation in Computing Alliance portfolio that's so. a lot of words i know <laughs> i know it is a lot okay so back to you gloria mm-hmm. <laughs> um so ibm northrop grumman and now capital one yes. uh, there's no gaps in there that we're missing no secret squirrel <laughs> I know. stuff actually that you were i was the to. president i know of the united states so now i get like i was like how is she what is she she's the senior what okay <laughs> You're really young. Yeah. I actually am. <laughs> <laughs> but you've done a lot. I think yes. part of that is all the internships that you were yes. you yeah. were doing. And the co-ops and everything. But to be the lead of yeah, UX you, at Capital One, like mm-hmm. that's, that's boss stuff. That's <laughs> so tell us about your role. Like what, what do you do? So I started out as a researcher, obviously, but um, I was researching identity stuff um people don't talk about it because really the back end of banking like people know to tell us and they know savings and credit cards and deposit but nobody tells you about like the people who are putting out the fires for identity theft and like making sure that we authenticate the right people Mm. um it's super difficult to do that um because it's virtual so when you're behind a computer, I have no idea who you are. You might be a dog or like a bot. <laughs> like I don't know who you are. Hey. Um, but then the closest we can to that experience, to translating that experience, is like when a cop stops you, looks at your face, looks looks at your ID card, and then can validate who you are, right? Because they can see you and they can see the card. 
Um, but virtually, like, they can't really have the two unique identifiers to mm-hmm. really match who you are. Mm. And so our job is to do the experience side of it. Uh, we don't want to do anything too crazy that people don't trust it, but we don't want to limit that experience to something that is not safe, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people hate two-factor. Like, you know, yeah. check your phone for this code. Do this, do that. I hate but it so much. That, that, is better, that is better than, like, you know, experiences that people love, like, you know, the Touch ID or things that are seamlessly... It's safer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, we want to balance that and we advocate for our users and the people that are really going through that process. We want to make it safer both for the company in terms of risks and we also want the experience to be better for you so you keep coming <laughs> to you, yeah. to our, our platforms and our websites. Um, but I transitioned onto the AI machine learning platform and basically what we do is to make sure that we are harnessing the data that we have in a way that we can predict stuff for you. So hmm. when you come to our website or so you come visit our pages, we want to be able to leverage the knowledge that we have to help you find things. Like we can predict like, you know, hey, we realize you've been doing this. Can you, can we help you in a better way? Or like Suggesting different products yes. that you mm-hmm. could use yes. that so, might be beneficial. So anything that has to do with experience with data, uh, we help do that. Um, and that's the user experience side of it. Mm-hmm. But that creeps into the ethics of what we do like you know we're advocating for the user like are we using in a way that you know it's ethically safe is experience something that they would enjoy but it's it's also safe for them Mm because some people don't know what they don't know so we don't want to be the company that robs you of that ideal experience but keeps you safe we want to be the middle like part of the experience where it's a win-win for both parties right um So currently, that's what I do, uh, working with data and experience and, like, huge uh, machine learning platforms. That's pretty cool. So, like, mm-hmm. when you say making sure that you're using the data in an ethical way, is it, like, n- not steering a person towards a specific product that isn't good for them, given their financial portfolio? Like, what are the ethics there? So the ethics in terms of user experience research is um, not making it seem creepy. Like there's some experiences <laughs> that like you don't trust it because it's not Ooh. something you're used yeah. to. You know what that yeah. is? It's like scrolling through <laughs> Facebook and then there's an ad because I had a conversation about Capital One oh. today. Yeah. About Capital One. Right. That's creepy. Yeah. yeah. That's the ethics that you're referring to. Gotcha. Think, think back to. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, think back to the first time that it introduced that, like, you know, taking a picture with your check and then uh-huh. the buses, like, people didn't trust it. Like, it was really yeah. weird. Like, it is weird. How can I take a picture of my and then check it gets in there? Yeah. You, and you're like, storing my uh-huh. signature and all Ooh, that. Yeah. That's another thing where I was like, can I just make a new signature? Your signature, your routing number, like, yeah. all of your banking yeah. information. So we don't want you to Your feel address. that way. We don't yeah. want you to feel that way. We want the experience to be, like, smooth so you don't have a huge learning curve. Like, we want you to feel comfortable, but also to take you to that high level of experience that will make you love to come back to Capital One all the time. Yeah, I could see needing that for uh, older folks because <laughs> I use it and I have difficulties and my dad physically goes to the bank, like, two or three times a week and I'm like you just do online banking and he's like no <laughs> and the conundrum is the older folks have more money like yeah. uh, duh like you know yeah. so reaching to them too is so it's like uh, something that we're interested in yeah as a bank so how does all of this tie back to your original healthcare health systems trying to fix all of that because you went from health to banking and yeah. those are not the same thing <laughs> right so that is actually a good question. Um, when I did all this healthcare thing, I finally graduated from grad school. Mm-hmm. I was still at the first job with Nachop Grumman, um, but my then fiance become became my my husband. Mm. So the day that I graduated, three days time, I had my wedding. What? <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> In barely three months, I got pregnant with my first kid, so my whole life turned upside down, and I had to move to be with my husband. He is a clinician. He um, trying to be a urologist, uh, still in training, but I had to move to Richmond, and there was virtually no tech company. Captain One is the biggest uh, (laughs) company, and so I had to scramble for a job there because I wanted to be with my family, and that's how I ended up at 
at a bank. Like, I, if you had <laughs> asked me two years earlier, I'd be like, I'm going to be in Silicon Valley. Like, uh-huh. I'm going to be working for a tech company. I'm going to live my life, like, the way that I plan to enjoy after grad Girl, school. Don't wow. men just do that. Don't <laughs> <men>. <laughs> oh, my god! But I love him to death. Like, he has been my support system and my backbone. I wouldn't have been able to do all these things. Oh my god! Yeah. So, how's uh, new mom life? Yeah. Since I'm over here about to be one. (laughs) (laughs) New mom. Um. People tell you gets better. It doesn't. It just gets easier. (laughs) Like you get used to it. Mm. Um. I have two kids under two, so um. My my life is crazy, but funny enough, I draw from them. So like when I go to work and I'm like I'm stressed out or like I come back, I'm so tired. And then you hear them say, mommy, <laughs> like, you know, you melt and then you feel like Aww. relaxed. You, you get know. the strength to do it again um, another day. Yeah. But I, I see like, you know, one question that I always tell women or like people who want to get into tech or to get into complex fields. Like, you know, at the end of the day, when that settles, like what are some of the things that you don't want to have missed on? Yeah. You know, and for me, it's like I wanted to have kids. I wanted to have a family. And I keep telling people this, you can have it all, but not at the same time, Mm. you know? And so sometimes you find things slowing down, but then it's because other things are ramping up, Mm -hmm. like, you know, and you can see like with this social media craze, like you see people living their best lives, but (laughs) trust me, some things are slowing down for them Mm -hmm. in order for them to be living the lives that you see. And so for me, um, I kind of de-stress or try to psych myself understanding that if there are things that I want, like, you know, as women in tech, we obviously want to flourish, want to do big things, right? Mm-hmm. But then sometimes we obviously cannot because there are other things that we also want to nourish or things that we want to grow or things that we want to experience. So mm-hmm. it's just like timing what you want now versus what you want later on. Um, but then at the end of the day, things will come together beautifully, but not at the same time. Because yeah, you clearly yeah. weren't trying i'm sure <laughs> to make a human like immediately no right. i wanted to enjoy my life and, and and yeah and just slow down a little but obviously not that's okay that's fine Aww. i mean i i can't say that i planned exactly when this baby was gonna show up um but i feel like it's the right timing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's really all for us it's like he always wanted a kid so mm-hmm. here you go. Here you go. <laughs> right. right, the next one you carry. Hope, hope you're excited. <laughs> um, so, how does that That's work funny. with your your industry role? Because you know sometimes when women are in these positions where they're leaders and they're in charge of things, being a mom mm-hmm. is seen as negative, right? right. Or almost like a. Uh, like a disability almost yeah. like yeah. hey you're no longer able to function you're oh my like goodness. You oh, have my no only idea. my body is pregnant not <laughs> my brain <laughs> i mean for that you can't take that away because people would have the stereotypes they have they would have the understanding and background that they, they were built with right um but my company and i know there's several companies that give a lot of time mm-hmm. for um, working moms to recover and to be with their kids but the irony of that is that as I'm taking the five months off, my colleagues who don't have kids or who are male are working. Mm-hmm. And so this is a whole entire performance uh, timeline. Like six months is a huge time mm-hmm. to miss out on. Um, I wouldn't trade being my kids with, with anything in the world, but that sense of like, you know, not being there whilst people are doing the job that you think you can do and just like having the self-doubt that you'd go back and miss out on all the things that are happening mm-hmm. also wasting. So I wouldn't belittle the fact that, you know, being a mom takes away from your career. But um, I know that I'm planting seeds that will yield something for me in the future and I'll rather take that time to do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, than to wait and my husband jokes but he says that like you know all your friends or all your colleagues who are not having kids now once they start to have kids they'll go through the same thing that they you will. went through exactly. like you know nobody's going to be free once they have a kid like they're yeah. still going to feed the baby every two hours but uh, <laughs> it's just deciding when you mm-hmm. want that chaos to happen in your life <laughs> so um, it's definitely like a mental struggle like that women in tech face because like the more you do 
and the longer you stay in industry, the better people see you for your work. But then all these like life things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say finding joy in the slowing the slowing down also like helps you. Yeah. Uh, and knowing that like you know like I said before when things settle like when you're in your fifties and your sixties like what do you want in your life yeah. really mm-hmm. really helps you. But um. I am really grateful that I have that time to spend because I know that, like, if I had, like, just six weeks or five weeks, I'll also be thinking, like, am I a bad mom for not being my my kids? Mm-hmm. Like, it's always thinking about something that makes you worry yeah. that I don't think people should think about or think more about. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a struggle. But uh, you just have to make You'll it make smaller. It yeah, yeah, or make, make it, it work. work. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so... Also, part of what you do is about, like, advocating for others at your job. And so Mm -hmm. diversity, equity, and inclusion is something I know you're passionate about. How does industry play a role with that, like, for you? For me, um... (laughs) Kyla Kyla has on the screen, are we doomed? (laughs) (laughs) you hear all these stories and it's like you see you hear all these initiatives but then you hear these stories in the news and it's like all right where where are we yeah so so for me yeah like three things that come to mind uh the first one is like the employee resource groups like it's either like you being a woman or you being like african-american or asian like it's just Mm -hmm. like those two boxes (laughs) um but i'm happy that we're starting to talk about intersectionality uh because for the longest i didn't really fit into just one or i didn't feel like a lot of resources was being given to um, people that were women, but also had different things mm-hmm. that were like you know clouding their personality or like making them who they are. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned, I'm a missionary kid. Like I didn't really grow up in America, so I had a lot of things. And I'm multilingual, so <laughs> yeah. when you think about all the things that makes you different from a typical American uh, person in tech then you start to think about, like, the resources and how they fit into helping you be a better person. Um, What I would say is that people have to utilize resources to make it work for them because, obviously, a lot of companies um, would have programs just to check off Mm. things, like, you know, that we have, like, a resource group or we have resources for minority. but how do you make it work for you? Like, how do you get the most out of that? You have to carve out the needs that are really pertinent and then get the help that you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I was talking to Jeremy earlier on, um, sometimes I have this dilemma in my head. I'm like, what are the fights that I need to fight? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously I can't fight all the fights because I have a family, I have to go home every evening. <laughs> um, but then also... As a black woman and, and doing things that not a lot of people have done or got into a state that not a lot of people have gotten into, what are the things that I can do to better the generations coming after me? So there are things that if I keep silent and don't talk about it, they're going to affect the people that get into my role or my mm-hmm. positions in the future, right? Yeah. So... Um, not being like, you know, a typical Harriet Tubman or being somebody <laughs> who like really fights for their people. What are the little things that I can help make better for the next generation? It's like, you know, and it's a struggle because you don't know where to keep quiet and where to champion or be an advocate for. And it's still something that I think we can all improve on. Um, and so if if you're doing things in, in different ways, like you don't have to always be like somebody that you're seeing that you think that the person is doing mm-hmm. actual advocate. Like you can mm-hmm. be in subtle ways, do things too. Um, and I, I think that, the balance should be there. Like, there are times that you need to step up and you need to talk um, about things just to make it easier for the next generation. And there are times that, you know, your energy cannot even allow nope. you to yeah. to fight that battle. It's, it's a constant struggle, but, yeah. Protect your peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. trade-off. Like, that is not my battle. Or, <laughs> you know, but how do you start those conversations without, like you said, getting that label of the person yeah. that's always with their fist in the air and yeah. mad at everything, like... Do you have tips for that? Yeah. So one thing that I've started to do is to introduce myself by talking about the things that makes me different from people. Mm-hmm. So I start by saying I'm a mom, I'm a wife, like, you know, I'm a research scientist, um, I'm multilingual, you know, mm-hmm. things that people would not know just by looking at me or would have assumptions or stereotypes about. 
clearing that and saying that, you know, before I start to do things, so if I'm leading a team or leading a presentation or starting a conversation, I put that out there. And what it does is, is that it tells people that you're more than what they see, you yeah. know. And I've been in so many situations that I was selected or I was in the room because I was a talking person, uh, you know. Yep. But I wouldn't, that, I wouldn't let that stop me from, like, you know, pushing in what I want to push in. So that I also get out of the experience what the company or the team or whoever is picking me for mm-hmm. who I am getting, I also want to get that. So I start by introducing myself and talking about the things that makes me different because I don't want to belittle it. Like people don't talk about being moms or wives, for example. Like that's also a full-time job. Yeah, People don't talk about that. They just yeah. want to highlight the technical skills because we're always thinking in the back of our head that we are not good enough. But we should be able to highlight the things that makes us different from other people, too. So the interesting thing about you saying that is I just went to a workshop not too long ago mm-hmm. by my twin, Dr. <laughs> Jeremy London. So, really? yes, there's another black female named Jeremy who's in engineering education. Yeah. Shout out yeah. to my twin. <laughs> right. But she does research on impact. And mm. one of the things... Uh, at the workshop that she had was reframing how we introduce ourselves to people Mm. based on what we want that person to know, Mm. right? So, like, we kind of do this already. Like, if I'm introducing myself to someone that, you know, is one of Kyla's work colleagues, it'll be a totally different conversation than if it's one of her friends, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, so we highlight what we want people to know about us. In the work setting, we generally don't talk about other dimensions of ourselves that mm-hmm. we want people to know. Yeah. And we don't do a good job at like articulating what research means to us mm-hmm. and how our identity shapes that. So it's really cool to hear you say that you've already started doing that because mm-hmm. it's one of the things that she wanted us to do. Yeah. Is like how, how do we reframe what being a researcher is? Mm-hmm. How do we reframe yeah. what being a, a professor or... A postdoc or an industry professional is because otherwise people will just, they'll be like, you're Dr. So-and-so and and you do this. And that doesn't, that has no context other than you have a degree Mm -hmm. (laughs) and this is what you work on. You're not a degree with legs. (laughs) Why do you do what Mm -hmm, you do? mm -hmm. Why is it Mm -hmm. important? And why is it important to you? No, that's good. Yeah. So. Shout out to Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So before we close out, do you have any words for students who don't imagine themselves as succeeding succeeding in tech? Like people are like, you know, that's you, but that I don't know if that can be me. Like, what do you want to tell them? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I want to tell them to find a community. Like we are social beings, and I feel like. Anyone who wants to go into tech will see, like, you know, a community that they're not welcome into. And that's where they feel like, I don't want to go into or I don't see myself going mm. into. Um, find a community that you love, community that you think will support you, not just, like, tell you the good things that you want to hear, but also <laughs> be really candid and tell you the things that you don't want to hear. But then best of all, find a community or a sisterhood that hypes you. Like, you know, because we all have those days that we don't even believe in ourselves. Like, mm-hmm. others have to believe in us more than we do. Um, and so finding that community, whether you, you know, high school or grad school or, like, industry, find that sisterhood. And it doesn't have to be in your local or geographic area. Like, find yeah. it anywhere. Um, follow people on Instagram, LinkedIn. Like, you mm-hmm. know, there are people that are doing things that you want to do or going through experiences that you've been through, like find those community and just like talk to them. And then the second thing is to understand that we excel in things that we believe we're going to excel in. So usually you hear people say that, oh, I'm good and I'm, I'm good at math. Like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. good at science. I'm good. But I think that as human beings, anything that you put energy into, you receive yep. that energy. Um, and so having that positive attitude and, and knowing that, if you put everything into tech, you're going to excel in it, you know. And for minorities or people of color, like, one thing that I stress is that you have to be twice as excellent. Like, mm-hmm. you can't afford to think, like, oh, uh, you know, 
found some founders didn't even finish college, so like I will just right. like you know ditch college and I'll be fine. Like you <laughs> can't, <But> no. <laughs> you can't. We got whole different rules. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to do more to just get your foot in the door. Um, and the effect of that is that you're gonna recommend someone because you are in the company or you are in situations. So one, find a community, but two, believe in yourself and and know that if you put more energy in something, you're gonna get that energy back. Um, and then the final thing is like you know. Try to learn as much from, um, like, you know, podcasts. Like, keep learning because even after grad school or after whatever you want to do, you still have to learn on the job. Like, mm-hmm. your life is a constant learning uh, uh, kind of ball. So getting in the habit of doing that will prepare you for a career in STEM or a career in tech. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. So how, since... Finding community is a thing. How do people <laughs> find you? Oh, yes. So I am on LinkedIn. Um, I am on all social media platforms. <laughs> um, my handle is G-L-O-W-H-Y-I-A. So it's basically a play on my name, Gloria, with a Y in it. Because like most of the things that I do, I tend to ask myself, what why? is my why? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, my family... So on top of the list, like my why, like why do I wake up in the morning to do these things? Like, but the second thing is that, um, the second why is that I am passionate about it. So find things that you're happy about, but find things that will wake you up in the morning to go to work. Um, and so G L O W H Y, and then I A is my handle. So cool. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gloria, for coming down here today and leaving your little tiny baby. (laughs) Thank you so much. We really appreciate it and loved hearing your story. Mm -hmm. And wow. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm looking forward to hearing more about other people who also record too. Oh, thanks. As always, you can find us on our website at modernfigurespodcast.com, where you can also purchase items from our online store. Send us questions via email at askus at modernfigurespodcast.com. The podcast is also on social media. Just search for Modern Figures Podcast. And you can find Kyla and I on Twitter. Kyla is at Dr. Underscore Kyla. And I'm at Jeremy Waysup. Until, Until next time, time, stay hydrated, moisturized, and, and protect, protect your peace. peace.